I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You're the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. Great to have you today. I've got someone who is personally very interesting to me. A guy I, I don't know, but I know his family. His family and my, his dad and my dad go way back, uh, and he is now pastoring uh, the church that his father founded in Tulsa, Oklahoma, right across the street from Oral Roberts University, where I'm a proud uh, graduate from. Uh, it's Victory Christian Center. Uh, for those of you in the Tulsa area and know you, you've heard of it, uh, Pastor Billy Joe Daughtery, his wife Sharon, I mean, a Christian school, effective church, just a great ministry there uh, in Tulsa. And uh, Pastor Billy Joe passed away in 2009, and a few years later, uh, his son, Paul, uh, took over at the church. Uh, and so I'm having a great time chatting with him before we got started here. I think you'll enjoy listening to him as well. He's got a book out uh, Is interesting. <laughs> We'll, we'll see where it goes. The book's called Mind Games. looks just like this. Uh, and he's talking about mental and emotional health. Uh, and <laughs> when I saw this book, I, I, I thought, until I read the subtitle, I thought, okay, where are we going with this? Because here's the <laughs> thing, right? I know, right? Here's the thing. There's so many things in this world, in this day and age that we live in, that, if I can say this, um, it's my show, I guess I can, that screw with your mind. And, it, yeah. and certainly the world is that way. And, and in, a, in an election year, it's going to be even crazier. I, I mean, you know, and with the technology, you just can't believe even what you hear and see sometimes. I mean, the headlines are the, – the, people are out to manipulate you. The world mm -hmm. wants to manipulate you. And sadly, some of that creeps into the church sometimes. Um, and, you know, if you're in a church where they're messing with your mind – just just you probably need to get out you know find a, find a church that's preaching the word where the pastor's doing his best he's not perfect but he's doing his best to live it out uh and, and we just there's i i'm i told paul before we started I, i'm old enough i am i don't have time for messing around you know we got to get to god's word we got to do our best to adhere to it to live by it because that's life the rest of this is death and it leads to a lot of the things we see right now in our culture with the, the uh, you know, the anxiety, the stress, the uncertainty, the lack of identity, it, it, it's all, it's a mess without God. So we're going to, we're going to see where, where Paul goes in this. And, and a lot of this is, you know, coming from his own experience. So appreciate you guys being here watching. Um, if you know someone that you think this will bless, hit that share button. Uh, and of course, if you haven't subscribed, we think you like or follow or subscribe depending on where you're watching you'll you'll get the notifications of good interviews paul man great to meet you great to have you on life today live hey great to meet you too and honored to be with you big uh fan of your family and yeah like you said my dad and your dad go way back um <clears throat> so when i was asked to be a part of this i was super excited honored and yeah, if you want me to, I can kind of just give a quick introduction yeah. to who I am. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, if there's more, then I mean, I know there's more, but yeah, tell us whatever you want to tell us and we'll dive into the book here soon. Yeah, totally. Well, 
grew up as a pastor's kid. Uh, by the time I was born, my parents had already been rolling with the church for mm -hmm. about five years. They started a Bible college and a Christian school, kindergarten through 12th grade, the same year they started the church. And then, yeah, by the time I was born, it was massive. It was growing fast and thousands of people every Sunday coming. And mm -hmm. uh, the school was growing fast, the college, there was a missionary training center. And then later on, growing up, I was the youngest of four kids, but my dad and mom, they used to take all of us out to um, low-income apartment housing on Friday nights, Saturday nights, and they would do like these pop-up tent crusades. He would preach, my mom would sing, me and my brother and sisters, we would do like children's church services. And later on that became, um, we started a place called the Tulsa Dream Center, yeah. inspired by Tommy Barnett, yeah. Matthew Barnett, those guys, Luke Barnett. <clears throat> but my dad was always a visionary. He was always starting something new. He started a camp when I was like eight years old. We got 120 acres out in like the wilderness area of Oklahoma, about an hour from our church. And so there was the camp, there was the school, there was the college, there was the dream center, there was the church. Um, and then in 2009, he got sick with cancer and he passed away suddenly. And I write about in my book, Mind Games, um, I write about just the spiral of depression, discouragement, anxiety, fear, panic, worry, everything, every mind game that you can imagine that I walked through. And I think a lot of other people walked through in our church um, when it came to a crisis of faith. Mm. And where do you stand when the person that you thought for sure was going to see a miracle because he was the guy that prayed for other people who had miracles um, it doesn't happen. And so the disappointment and then the loss, not just the loss of him, but the loss of what it was like when he was around, you know, our finances started going down. Our attendance started bleeding fast. We thousands of people left the church. Um, and so I share in my book, in mind games, I talk about really what I was up against before I stepped in as pastor. There was a period of about four and a half years um, where my mom stepped in as an interim pastor, and she's my hero. I love my mom. <laughs> still alive, still helps in the church, runs Good. our prayer ministry. Good. Um, and she was mourning the loss of her husband as a widow. And then she was trying to lead our church through a very bleeding, difficult season. And at that same time, I was the college pastor. I was in charge of a lot of different areas. I was the associate pastor. And then my dad, before he died, had told our board, hey, Paul, my youngest son, is going to be the next pastor of Victory, but he's not ready yet. So don't tell him I said this until it's time. <laughs> so, you know, a year after he's passed away, um, the board comes to me and they're like, hey, in a couple of years, you're going to step in as pastor. My mom says it. And there was just a whole lot that I share in my book. My book is it's long. It's 240 pages. But. I detail some pretty important stories that I think would relate to anyone out there who's ever walked through loss, failure, disappointment, anger at God, um, anger at the church. And then what do you do with all of this? What do you do with all the mind games of, uh, of what the enemy wants to do? The enemy wants to still kill and destroy our faith, our connection with God, with the church, with our family. And so I talk about, you know, how I got my mind back, how I got my heart beating again. And it wasn't me. Obviously, it was the Holy Spirit, God. But I talk about some practical tools that I personally applied and some some pretty funny stories um, that I go into about 
when you're a pastor's kid, like, you know, this you're growing up with a father who was in the spotlight, there's a lot of pressure to be perfect. There's a lot of pressure to, I grew up in the same school that my dad was the pastor over. He was the president of the school and the college. And so then I go to ORU right across the street from our church and he ends up becoming the interim president for a season while I was at ORU right before he passed away. Um, but I, I'll tell you this, one thing that kind of starts off the book is that right before he, he passed, um, I remember getting a phone call from my mom. She's like, hey, come up to the hospital. Your dad's up here. And I was like, who's he praying for? Mm. And she was like, no, he's not praying for anyone. He's here. And I was like, what do you mean he's there? He's never at the hospital for himself. He's always there to pray for church members or staff members, whatever. Mm. And she was like, no, 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 Paul, just get up here. So I rushed up there September of 09. And when I walked in, the doctor immediately just says the words in front of my whole family. He's like, your dad has lymphoma cancer mm. and we're not sure how long he's going to make it. Mm. And then he looks at us and he's like, you know, he's been battling this for a year and two months. Oh. And I go, what? And I lost it. I started bawling. I was like, why didn't you tell us? He was secretly battling cancer for a year mm. and preached every Sunday, never told the family, never told the church mm. and was making private visits to the cancer treatment center. And he told us he was sorry that he didn't say anything. He just didn't want us worried. He didn't want our fear uh, adding to his anxiety. So he was trying to privately beat the battle. And so I talk about it in the book, just the the paranoia of like, oh, my gosh, you know, what in the world? And then seven weeks later, the last public thing he does is my wedding. And then he passes away. Man. And um, right before he passed, he gave me this key. I had just finally gotten hired on at the church. I had graduated from college. And when you're a pastor's kid, you're free labor. So you just work for free. <laughs> um, but by the time I was 22, I finally got a job offer at the church and I was graduated. Um, and I started working in our college ministry, our worship ministry, and he gives me this key. He's like, hey, here's a key to your office. And I was like, Dad, I was a janitor at Oral Roberts University, and I had 30 keys. And I was like, I'm your own flesh and blood, and you're only giving me one key. And he was like, Paul, what's your problem? And I was like, Dad, I'm just saying, like, I just want access. I want trust. I want people to know my dad trusts me. And he's like, no, you just need one key, son. And so when he passed away, I was locked out all the time. I was locked out of our main campus. I was locked out of the Dream Center. I was locked out of the college, the camp. And I would always call a security guard, a janitor. I was like, hey, can you unlock the doors? And they were like, why didn't your dad give you a key? And I was like, I don't know. And I would look up at heaven because I honestly still to this day feel like sometimes I can talk to him up there. Like mm -hmm. he's looking down from a window. You know, Hebrews 12 says there's a great cloud of witnesses. And I just believe that maybe those witnesses sometimes can can hear, you know. And so I just was like, Dad, many, many nights I would go up to the church to just pray, talk to God. And then honestly, I probably looked like a lunatic, but I was also kind of like venting my anger at my dad. Mm. And I was like, I wish you were still here. Why didn't you tell us sooner? We could have helped you, you know, battle mm. cancer and come out on top of it. And so I would have these conversations, but janitor security guards had to unlock the doors to let me in. So long story short, a couple of years had passed since he had passed away. One night I was trying to get into the church. No one was there. It was Thursday night. And he built this 5,000 seat auditorium right before he passed away, um, which at the time when he built it, when he was alive, I think it was going to be good. But once he passed, it was very sad. Mm. And, um, 
And so I felt intimidated by the whole building, you know, 400,000 square feet, just so much space, the school, the college, the camp, the dream center, the, ch the church, this big auditorium. And, and then me with one key. And I just felt unqualified. I felt like I didn't have the keys to, to do what my dad did. I couldn't cast vision. Like he casted vision. I couldn't raise money. Like he raised money. I couldn't preach. Like he preached. I couldn't connect with donors. Like he connected. I couldn't, meet with presidents. Like I just didn't have what he had. And one night I was trying to get in the, the church and no janitor was there. They were like, Hey, we're locking up doors on the other side of town at the dream center. It's going to be an hour before we can get back to South Tulsa. You'll just have to wait. So I start trying to break into our church and I'm like <laughs> pounding the glass door, hurting my hand. And I was like, once again, I'm weak. I'm unqualified. I'm the youngest. I'm the worst person to be picked for this. And then I started to shimmy my credit card between the cracks of the doors. I was like, okay, I'm going to pick the lock, you know, and I break my credit card. Finally, I pull out my keys and I was like, okay, I'm going to try my car key, my house key. None of those keys are working. And I was like, okay, this little office key my dad gave me, I'm going to shove it in this outside door of our main out of building. And then I'm going to wiggle it around and yank the door. Well, when I shoved it in, it fit perfectly. And I was like, what? And then I turned it and it unlocked the door. And I stepped back and I had goosebumps. I was like, what in the world? Did God just morph my key? <laughs> and then I thought, well, maybe this key works on other doors. So I ran across the hallway and I stick it in there, unlocks that door, unlocks this door, unlocks the choir room, unlocks the drum closet. Nobody has keys to the drum closet, unlocks the gymnasium. And then I, I think to myself, this whole time, I've had the master key to victory. Mm. And I didn't even know it. And so then I went to that main auditorium door that intimidated me and scared me. And the, the room that I honestly didn't really like going into because it was sad. And I said, God, if this key works on this door, everything's going to change. And it, it did. It unlocked the door. And I sat on the stage and I looked at this empty room of thousands of seats. And I just cried. And then I looked up at heaven and I was like, Dad, this whole time I've had the master key. And I could just see him laughing up in heaven like, duh, you've had it the whole time, son. And um, I think maybe he wanted me to figure it out, to discover what it could do without him telling me and that I had to go through some some depressing moments. I mean, there was a moment in that same season where I stood on a bridge and I was looking at semi trucks and cars driving underneath this highway overpass. And I was contemplating if life was worth living mm. because it was so painful. You know, I had to lay off 120 employees in a matter of a year people that raised me. And I remember just feeling so angry and unworthy and unqualified mm. and just like a failure, like I'm going to lose this legacy and all this stuff. And um, that night when I sat on that stage, I just held that master key to victory and I stuck it in my Bible and I said, okay, God, I have the master key to victory, not just physically, but I have the master key to victory spiritually. I have the master key to victory mentally and emotionally. And I turned to Colossians 1, 27, and it says, Christ in me. And I just stopped right there. I said, Christ in me is the master key. Hmm. Christ in me is the master key to victory. Christ in me is the master key to a sound mind. Christ in me is the master key to vision. Christ in me is the master key to victory over all of these financial struggles that we're walking through. And then I started preaching. I preached a whole sermon to an empty room. And I just held out the Bible and I put the master key in the middle. And I said, I'm not the only one with the master key. You have the master key and you have the master key. 
And if you have Jesus, you have the master key. And I just started crying. And, uh, and that from that night in 2012, I, I started writing this thought that, you know, if we have Jesus, we can make it through anything, but we can also unlock doors. And I started looking in my Bible for all the scriptures about keys and about doors. And I started realizing there's a lot about that. I mean, even when you get to the book of Revelation, Jesus, he says, I hold the keys. Um, and so I started writing this thought about winning the mind games, winning the battle in our mind by knowing we have the key to victory. And so I tell, like, once I stepped in as pastor in 2014, by the goodness of God, the bleeding stopped. Our attendance started increasing. Our finances got better. Uh, we were able to rehire people we had let go. We were able to hire more people. We were able to expand our school, our dream center, our college, our camp. And when COVID hit, I thought that was going to end us. And I write a whole couple of chapters on trauma and anxiety and panic because our whole world went through a season of just, honestly, shock, fear, anger at the government, the control, the shutdown, the COVID, the virus, all of it. So I talk about just what we did, what I did walking through that. I'm a dad of five kids. I have a 10-year-old, 8-year-old, 5-year-old, 4-year-old, and a (laughs) 2-year-old. And so, yeah, I was spiraling into, once again, that same fear of like, oh, are we going to make it? Um, But the book is all about winning in the mind. You have a you have a two year old. You have a COVID baby. Yeah, she was born <laughs> in twenty one. We got pregnant in COVID, literally like June. And I fell on the floor, I collapsed because we had four babies and we were barely making it with four babies. And we were finally on our last one to change diapers. And Ashley comes to me during the middle of COVID, like <laughs> the fall of COVID year, and she's like, "Hey, um, we're pregnant with number five. And I was like, "What?" <laughs> And I, but we got through it and now she's like the most beautiful gift of God's grace. Oh, to yeah. Us. yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I got, man, I got several questions. What a great story. Uh, because it does, it illustrates a lot. It says a lot. Um, so I got several questions for you. First one is a tough one because I know that, uh, I, I know the charismatic line on, uh, health and healing. And I have to ask you, uh, and and I, I I don't mean to step on toes, um, but I, I just know too many people have gone through this. Was the the health uh, equated? Was your dad's physical health equated to his spiritual faith in the culture you were in at the time? Um, I think that <clears throat> honestly, I'll say this when he was in the hospital, he was laying there and he was praying for a miracle. And I'd never heard him say this before because he was always the guy that was quoting like by his stripes, I am healed. I'm the healed of the Lord. I will live and not die. Declare the works of the Lord, all the scriptures. But in the hospital, he said, I'm open to whatever God has for me. And I, I looked at him. I was like, what? He's like, whatever, whatever God has for me. And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for what God has given me. Mm. And it was very different, <clears throat> different from who he once was. Something changed in that hospital room. I don't think he lost faith. Mm. I think he came to grips with a more deeper faith. And mm. our family did. I mean, I went through a whole, in my book, I talk about how I stopped praying for miracles. I stopped praying for healing for a season. I didn't want to go to the hospital. 
people would ask me to pray for their family member with cancer. And I was like, don't ask me, you know? Um, but then I, I came full circle and I now fully will pray for anyone who needs healing. I'll pray for anyone with cancer, but I had to walk through a season of trying to figure out why God didn't do it. And, and come to the conclusion of what was wrong, you know, because when you're in the word of faith circle and, and the healing, like growing up with Oral Roberts as my dad's mentor, it's yeah. just there's so much um, faith talk. Yeah. And so I got to the point where it was like I went to the other side, the other extreme of like non-faith talk. And then I had to come back to the middle and go, OK, there is a really good side of this, but there's also a really unhealthy, toxic side of this. And then if I swing to the other side of the pendulum, it can also become toxic and negative and pessimistic and God's not even on the throne. And, you know, it's like all these. So it's like coming back to the middle of like God can and maybe God will. But even if he doesn't like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, like even if he doesn't deliver us from the fire, we still won't bow down to your false gods, Nebuchadnezzar. And that's what I came to is that, hey, God could have healed my dad but he didn't. And that's okay. Like we don't have to figure that out. And if I spend my whole life trying to figure that out, I'll be angry, bitter, and never happy with my life. I, I had to let that go. He, he, here's, here's what, here's what I would say. I, I would say he did. And, and not in the way that we think, because we look at healing as a, as a physical thing. And certainly it can be. And I, and anytime I'm sick, I ask God to heal me and I go to the doctor, <laughs> you know, so yes. do, do it all. Do it, do it all. I mean, you know, Oral well, Roberts right there, the city of faith, he put medicine and prayer together. Right. And I fully agree with that. So I am never not going to ask God to heal me. Um, but I, that, that's not where my, that's where my faith begins. It's not where it ends. Right. Yes. Maybe you've noticed this, you know, we know the story about the guy that was low. You, we, you heard this growing up at Christian school. I mean, you probably had the, well, you're too young to have the felt things, but you know, we, the illustrations, the kid's story. I, I remember mean, the felt boards. <laughs> you remember the felt boards. Okay. So, you know, the guy that, that, uh, they opened the roof and they lowered him to get him to Jesus because yeah. they wanted him to be physically healed. He couldn't walk. Okay. I would ask the same thing. What did Jesus do? I mean, we know he healed him, but that's not what he did first. Do you know what he did first? He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Yes. 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 And then the Pharisees were like, who is this man to forgive sins? And he's like, what, do you want me to heal his body? Okay, get up and walk. Like, no big deal. Almost nonchalantly, right? Because he knew the greater miracle was the healing of the soul. Don't fear that which can kill the body, he said. Fear that that can kill the soul. He healed that man's soul by forgiving his sins. The man would live for eternity. Yeah. And then he said, okay, fine, get up and walk. I mean, he brought Lazarus back from the grave, but Lazarus died again. Right? The healing we ask for in the physical sense is temporary, always. The true healing is eternal, and that's the forgiveness of sins. And that's why your dad is still alive today. More alive than us, I would argue. Yeah. Yes. And I, I, I agree with you on all that. Yeah. hundred percent. And so my, I have other friends that have been through similar situations where they've lost a loved one who was a person of great faith, but they equated their faith to their physical healing and it stumped them. And I, and I think that, that we, 
we have to be in the center where you're at uh, that, that's a, that realizes that the true healing is the eternal healing, the forgiveness of sins, that's eternal life. This all, whether whether you, you live, you know, I lost my sister, younger sister at 40 to cancer, you know, um, she's buried up there in Tulsa um, and, and left three young children at the time. It, it sucks, man. It's painful. It's hard. I would never deny that. But I know her sins were forgiven in Christ. She is alive forever. Yeah. When that's our faith, our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in a person who is alive, and that's Christ. And and that's the man. That's we we. I love that you are are. You understand that. Um, it. We have to be there because I've seen some people really be hurt and disillusioned when someone who was a person of strong faith died unexpectedly too soon. Whatever. Um, and so I'm sorry you had to go through that, but I love the, what God showed you through that. Uh, okay. My, my next question, uh, what was it? I got sidetracked on that one. Um, okay. Here's my next question. Uh, and you know, this, this is true for everybody though. Um, but with, when you're following a successful father and, and I see this in secular business too, and (laughs) you, you, you have to find your your own calling. You have to find who God says you are, uh, even when you're following in the footsteps of someone else, because you you're not your dad. Right? Yeah, we honor our fathers. We honor the work that they have done, the things that they have started, but we are not them. Where did you find Paul? I found myself. Um, well, it kind of right when he passed, I was preaching to our college students and our college service was growing rapidly. Uh, And so I knew like, okay, either, either we're doing something right here or we're doing something wrong and God's just blessing it anyways. But I I had this feeling like, okay, I think God has given me a unique voice to reach my generation. Yes. And I didn't sound like my dad, my dad, he would, he would be the one that would share maybe one personal story every six weeks and every sermon he would share, you know, 25 scriptures and several thoughts around those scriptures, but no personal transparency. Um, and, and if you got a story from my dad, it wasn't always, it was never going to be a story that was vulnerable. It was always a story from 30 years ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, so my stories were a lot more personal, more frequent, on a weekly basis, I was more candid and vulnerable and, and kind of just like, Hey, this is who I am. If you don't like me, I totally get it. I'm not my dad. Um, and that's why I struggled whenever I didn't realize I had the master key. I, I had to come to that conclusion that the master key is not sounding like Billy Joe Darty. It's not preaching like him, leading like him, doing what he did. It's discovering the unique Christ in me. Yes. Uh, that Christ wants to manifest through my unique personality, mm-hmm. through my gifts. I'm a singer. I'm a musician. I play piano and guitar. My dad didn't really play music, and he didn't really sing a lot, but my mom does. So I have a lot of my mom's side of the musical, mm. you know, songwriting, singing. And then I have some of my dad in me from, like, his style of maybe um, leading that naturally comes to me that I didn't know was there until I had to step in. Um, but... 
yeah, I think it was just, it was maneuvering through that. My first year as pastor, I tried to sound like my dad. I tried to wear a suit. I tried to wear a tie. <laughs> I tried to comb my hair like his and people, you know, people would laugh. They liked it. People were coming. Um, and then after about a year and a half of that, there was this guy who was a friend of mine and he was like, Hey Paul, you've been trying to wear your dad's shoes long enough. Cause I, my mom gave me two pairs of my dad's shoes after he died. Mm. And so I literally was wearing his black, nice dress shoes. And he, my friend comes and gives me a pair of nice Chelsea Brown boots that are more young. They're more, they would fit a guy who's like 25, 26, which was my age when, when I first started or 29 is when I started. So he hands me a pair of boots and he's like, these fit you well. And he's like, it's time to wear your own shoes. And I knew what he meant, not just wear my own physical shoes, but wear my own shoes. So probably after that first year of being the pastor, when I turned 30, I stepped into a greater level of confidence and I stopped trying to be like my dad. I stopped trying to convince people that, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but I wanted people to know I still carry the same belief system. I didn't want them thinking like Paul's going to take this church down some crazy, you know, uh, just different type of theology. I was like, hold on. I still believe in the same Jesus, same God, same Bible, sure. but I'm going to communicate it differently, you know? So, so would you say that you are beyond the point of feeling like you need to prove yourself and you're comfortable with God's calling on your life? Yes, hundred percent. And I don't say that from a prideful place, but I just well, know no. what it was like for me before I crossed that. I was very, I think COVID also really helped like solidify it. In 2020, I called a couple of pastors like, hey, what are you going to do? First, the first week of the shutdowns, this was March 17th, March 15th. And every pastor was like, oh, I'm closing down, closing down, closing down, closing down, shutting down, shutting down, shutting down. And I just was not feeling that in my heart. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't, I don't want to bash anybody. Everybody has to do what they feel called to do. Sure. But I just, I prayed, I cried, I sat with my wife and I was like, I really feel like we're supposed to stay open, but maybe we do it different. Maybe we do rooftop services. And so that next week I announced on social media, I said, Hey, I'm going to get up on top of the roof. I'm going to preach with an FM transmitter. We're going to put speakers around the parking lot. You can also turn your radio in your car to 97.6 and you're going to hear my voice. Our band is going to play with me up on the roof and we're going to do church for the next 12 weeks or however long this thing lasts. <laughs> and it blew up. People were watching from all over the world. We were, we started averaging 60,000 plus people live watching online and then CNN, Fox news, MSNBC picked it up. So it kind of went international. But in that moment, I didn't look back. I just said, you know what? I know I'm already getting arrows thrown at my back by people <laughs> in the church, evangelical people who were saying he's reckless. He doesn't care about people. Mm. And I was like, hold on. We're all still social distancing. We're just meeting for church and we're still having online church because people were like, just stay online, stay home. And I was like, I hear you, but this is what I feel called to do in this moment. And I think we have to give room for people to express whatever they feel is the right thing to do for their sure. community sure. and not shoot arrows at each other. It yeah. doesn't help the kingdom at all. Yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> and now we know Dr. Fauci has admitted that the six foot social distancing thing was random. 
So I mean, you look back on it and you go. So much of it was just craziness. It was. It was just craziness, which really, to me, drives home this this whole issue of you you got to learn to hear the voice of God for yourself. He's not going to say the same thing to everybody in specifics. His character is going to stay the same. His truth is going to stay the same. But the expression of it is going to be very individualistic. And and then you obey, right? Um, so here's and I, I kind of try to wind it down with this. This is we, I keep going. This is a fabulous conversation, very helpful. Um, but I, in the anxiety, the stress, the doubt, all these things that contribute to uh, an, an unhealthy mental and emotional state, a lot of stuff you walk through. In finding a deeper faith in finding your own faith and identity, um, what did that do for your emotional and mental health? Because I think this is key. Yeah. Well, one, it helps me to calm down. You know, <laughs> I think uh, I think people who are <clears throat> people who are mentally unwell, they are uh, or emotionally unwell, they are wound up, they are unhappy. They are constant racing thoughts. They can't turn their thoughts off. They can't. It. I found a lot of people who are mentally unwell have insomnia. They can't sleep good at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and by the way, I don't think that's. I don't think that makes us a sinner. I don't think that makes us bad. I don't think that makes us messed up. I think that just makes us a candidate for God's grace and God's healing work to work in our minds. You look at Elijah. Elijah was mentally and emotionally unstable. After some of his greatest miracles, he runs into the wilderness. He's depressed. He's suicidal, racing thoughts. He's got, he's got God in, in his heart, but he's got Jezebel on his mind. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like you can, you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but still be mentally and emotionally unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And that's like even growing up with a dad who was a pastor and a mighty man of God. I know there were times he struggled you know, in his mind, in his heart, his emotions. I know there were times Oral Roberts did, Billy Graham did, Mm -hmm. Mother Teresa, James Robinson, the list goes on, you know, none of us are exempt from thoughts and feelings that are painful, that can lead us into places of loneliness, sadness, depression, deep feelings of, of anxiety. Um, And so for me, I think this is a battle we're going to face the rest of our lives. You know, I don't think it's something we graduate from. But I do think that we can get out of the rut of stuck in a season of depression or a season of deep anxiety. Um, and for me, yeah, it definitely shifted. It shifted me into a place of more of peace, more sound mind, more joy, yeah, and more freedom. Like less worry about, you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? What if my kids get sick? What if we don't make it? You know, what if and. I stopped thinking about all the what if negatives and I just started focusing on, okay, God, you love me. You're for me. You're with me. We're going to get through it. And so I, it gave me more strength to finish a day and go to sleep and wake up the next day and start the battle again. And I think, you know, we're going to be in our mind game battles the rest of our lives. I don't think we ever graduate that, but I do think we can get better at winning those games. So it's interesting because you, you know, the, the past is a place that caused a lot of pain um, and, and just, just dealing with it, right? Uh, things that ha- ha- happened 
in in the past, and that kind of spills over into anxiety about the future. Yeah. Um, are you learning? Because I, I, I this is we we do this. <laughs> this is an ongoing thing. Are you learning to live in the present? Yes. Yes, and I think that was a big win. Was just because even during COVID, I was like every day you know you never know what's going to happen so you just have to live in that day yeah. and you can't worry about tomorrow um and so know, yeah and then i, I, I know a guy who said like, that there's a guy who said that one time a long time ago don't worry about tomorrow <laughs> right <laughs> come on um yeah but i think i think that once we start winning those mind games yeah. we can start enjoying the present i can look at my two-year-old girl and really look her in the blue eyes that mm-hmm. she has mm-hmm and hold my little brown eyed boy and look at all five kids. And we have dinner. We have candlelight dinner at least once a week where we'll just light the candles and we say, Christ is light. My wife will cook a really good meal. And it's just, I mean, this past year we were both just crying, laughing, our, my wife and I, cause we were like, this was the best year for our family. We mm-hmm. made the best memories together, just mm-hmm. fully present, fully mm-hmm. enjoying each other. Love it. Uh, and that, that's so key. That That is, a big key to mental health right there, man. Uh, yeah. Okay. If you, if you're watching and you want to know more, you're, you're just going to have to pick up the book. It's available wherever you get books. It's called mind games by Paul Doherty. Um, and I, I, I want also to let people know about the Paul cast, the podcast called the Paul cast. Great name, by the way, just <laughs> tell people about it. Cause if somebody's watching and they're like, man, I, I want to hear more from this guy. You can go to victory.com. You can go to Paul org, and it's, D-A-U, for those of you listening, Paul, P-A-U-L, P-A-U-L, got that, D-A-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y. It's not Daughtery, it's Daugherty. So, uh, .org, by the way. So, but victory.com, easier to get to. Um, but what, what do you, what do you have? I'm guessing you got the Sunday sermons, and tell us a little bit about the Paul cast. Yes, yes. So, it's Sunday messages. The Paul cast is totally different. No sermons. Just conversations. So cool. kind of like you and me right now, this would be on the podcast. I would be sitting talking with um, a pastor or a leader. Uh, sometimes I sit with a guy on our staff and we just talk about parenthood. We talk about dad life, talk about marriage, ministry. And then we talk about behind the scenes of, you know, things that are happening in my world that would be maybe interesting. So. All right. Good resources for you. Um, pre- appreciate you. Uh, it, it's encouraging to hear uh, the transparency, uh, but also to hear the journey that God's brought you on and continues to walk with you on. And I just, man, I wish nothing but the best for Victor Christian Center, the school, all the stuff that you got going on. Uh, and just great to hear from you. Thank you, man. Thank you, Randy. It means a lot. Appreciate you. Appreciate all you guys out there watching, too. Uh, you check out the website. Check out the book. Uh, here's his website, org, And come back. Subscribe to Life Today dot t- or Life Today TV, our handle on all the socials. Uh, and, and subscribe to the, this podcast. You'll get notifications, like, follow, subscribe, whatever, wherever you're at. Uh, appreciate you guys being here. See you again next time on Life Today Live.